Now, this chapter in Revelation, I need to tell you, is, is an incredibly special chapter for me personally. Uh, and here's why. It's, it's, it's maybe the most special chapter, not only out of the, the book of Revelation, but, but possibly out of the entire Bible. Uh, in May 19th, 1991, I was attending Denton Bible Church. And the pastor there, his name is Tommy Nelson. He was teaching through the book of Revelation. And on May 19th, 1991, this is the text that he was in. This is the chapter that he was in. And I had been going there off and on for, for months. And I would have told you at that time that I was a Christian. And I would have told you I was a Christian because I wasn't something else. I wasn't a Buddhist. I wasn't a Muslim. I wasn't a Mormon. I wasn't something else. And, and so, therefore, I must have been a Christian. But as I was going to the Bible, Tommy kept talking about this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, and through Jesus Christ, this personal relationship you get with the God of the universe. And there was something about going through this chapter that I realized I didn't have that. I, I wasn't a Jesus follower. And, and in this passage, in this chapter, I understood that that was something not only that I wanted, but something that I needed. And God used this chapter to show me himself. And so for you, if you aren't a Jesus follower, and maybe you're like I was, you, you would call yourself a Christian because of what you're not instead of what you are. Maybe this chapter will do the same for you. And so for you, I hope that you see a place that one day you will call home for eternity and see Jesus as the way to get there. And for those of you who are listening, uh, where you are already a Jesus follower, I hope this passage today brings you great encouragement. So I'm going to pray real quick before we jump in. Jesus, use your word and use my words about your word to change our hearts. And God, may we, um, may we be different at the end of this than we were at the beginning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm curious, has anybody uh, during this time of quarantine used your time to, to purge, to clean stuff out, to clean out, to get rid of old stuff, to clean out cabinets, to clean out garages, to clean out, to clean out closets? If you have, give me a like so I know who my fellow purgers are during this time. I got to tell you, I love to get rid of stuff. Right. I, I, matter of fact, I might have too quick of a trigger finger when it comes to getting rid of stuff because because my personal rule is unless it has a significant memory or a pretty incredible story attached to it, if I don't use it in a year, it is gone. Right. And so I I love to purge stuff. And so if that's you, if you like to purge stuff, too, you can you can vouch with me for this, because you see, here's what purging stuff does. Right? Getting rid of something old makes room for something better, doesn't it? Getting rid of something old makes room for something better. You see, when you purge, you make room. You have this great opportunity to fill it with something better. Now, what if this didn't just apply to, to stuff you haven't used or junk in your closet, garage, or cabinets? What if that same principle applied to everything. To, think about it. To everything that, that, that you can see, everything that you can touch, everything that you can hear, everything that you can smell, everything that you can taste. What if everything that you see around you and everything that you know to be material and to be hard, what if everything around you was purged? 
Well, what happens is you get something better. And this passage is going to show us you get something amazingly better. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 1 and go to chapter 22, verse 5. And today, as always, as we go through the book of Revelation, we're looking for our response to this. And what we're going to see is the response right here at the very beginning. And I'm going to flesh that out as we go, because we're going to see how to respond when God gives us something better. Now, are you curious what this response is? Well, let's dive in and let's see. In chapter 21, verse 1, it says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, here's what John is experiencing. Remember, John is the one that God used to write these visions down, to write this letter down for us. And what John has seen through God's eyes is he has seen uh, judgment. Right? He's seen judgment on all evil. And what we saw last week is he even saw, he even saw Satan be eternally vanquished into this lake of fire. John has seen complete destruction. Right, Talk about purging. Right? He has seen everything be purged. But now he sees what's better. He sees this new heaven and this new earth. What I want you to do when I read this next verse is I want you to, to pay attention to where this new heaven and this new earth comes from because that gives us the clue as to what our response needs to be. Verse 2 says this, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, as prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so here's what's interesting, and here's where we see our response, Right? Right from the beginning, we notice something. Notice where this new heaven and this new earth, John also calls it this new Jerusalem, this holy city. Notice where it's coming from. It's coming down from heaven, right? Now, if, if you go to the very beginning of your Bible, uh, to Genesis, in Genesis 11, you see something where humanity is trying to reach up to God. And it's this, it's this historical account of an event called the Tower of Babel, right? And it's a count of, of humanity wanting to connect with God. It's this account of, of humanity wanting to make a name for themselves. And, and in a sense, it's a story about humanity wanting to be like God. And so what they do is they build this tower to reach to the heavens. They build this tower to reach to God's place. And, and this story in Genesis 11, this historical account of this tower being built, is this, is this account of pride. Right? It's this account of, uh, of pride, and it's a warning about the pride in each of us, because this type of pride says we can work our way to God. We can build our way to God. We can effort our way to God. We can, we can construct a system to where God is pleased with us, to where we get God's attention. This, this pride says, I can do something to earn God's approval. I can do something to even earn God's love. Now in Genesis 11, here's what's, here's what's great, is as, as this building of this tower is complete and, and as they've, they've gone as high as they can go to reach the heaven, the scriptures say something that invokes a little bit of humor as you read it. Because when all their work and all their might and, and all their might and their self-sufficient pride is done and they've done as high as they can to reach the heavens, the Bible says this. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower they had built. In other words, all of their work and all of their pride and all of their striving and all of their effort had built a tower that was so high, God couldn't even see it from heaven. It wasn't high 
at all. He had to come down to see it. And, and here's why this is important. You see, this kind of pride, this kind of pride is still in me and this kind of pride is still in you. You see, we think that we can do enough good things or not do enough bad things to make God like us, to make God love us. We think, and it's the same pride that we see in Genesis 11, this Genesis 11, Genesis 11 pride, we think that we can earn God's love. But here we see this new heaven and this new earth come down from heaven, from God to us. And so here's where we see our response to this future event. And our response is this, that we receive what God gives. We receive what God gives. And when you look at our faith, when you look at, at the Christian faith, when you look at being a Jesus follower, our faith is a faith about receiving, isn't it? Uh, and many of you are like me. We're, we're kind of hardwired to be where receiving is hard, right? We love to give, we, we love to make, we love to work, but when it comes to receiving, honestly, we're not really good at it. And here's why. Because for me, receiving seems passive. Receiving seems like what was a bad word in my house when I was growing up, and it's still in my soul as a bad word. Receiving sounds lazy, doesn't it? You see, I grew up in a home where my mother told stories of picking cotton as a kid to have money for the family to be able to eat. I, I had a grandfather on my father's side who delivered ice for a living, those big old cubes of ice. And I remember he was an old man with strong arms. You know what I'm talking about, that old man strong, right? That was my grandfather. He worked hard. And so in a lot of ways, being passive and receiving and lazy these weren't the best words in my house. The best words in my house and the best words that still echo in my soul were hard work, right? To make your way. These are the words I grew up with and maybe, maybe you did too. And if so, that means that Tower of Babel account, that Genesis 11 way of trying to please God and trying to earn God's love, it means that that way resonates in our soul. So that Tower of Babel sounds like a familiar way to relate to God. This whole new heaven and new earth being given may be a little bit more difficult to embrace. But y'all, what we're going to do now is we're going to go through this passage and see what's in this new heaven and new earth and see what we get when we receive what God gives. So let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 said this, And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now this word dwell that's here is used in only two places in the entire New Testament. It's used in the Gospel of John, where it talks about Jesus came and, and made his dwelling place with us for a little while. He tabernacled with us. And, and that's what that word dwell means. And when it's speaking of Jesus, we see that it was for a little bit of time that he was with his disciples and, and taught them and, 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 and showed that he was the way to God. And then he was, he was crucified and resurrected and went away. And he said, now I'm going to send another 
and I'm going to send the Spirit, and He will enable you to do more than even I can. And here we see the fulfillment of that, the ultimate fulfillment of that, right? Because here we see that God dwells with His people completely and permanently. And so, so when we receive what God gives, we get God's permanent presence in our life. Not just in eternity, but here's the, the, the great thing of it. We get that presence here today. We get this presence that wipes away every tear, that erases every pain. Uh, in, in, instead, of, instead of death, there is life. There is joy instead of grief. And, and there's gladness instead of mourning. That's what his presence does. And that even happens today. One of our staff meetings a few weeks ago is we're as a staff, as we're trying to navigate how to make decisions and all the information and chaos and, and honestly the disunity that's around us in our culture right now, we did this little exercise to help us make better decisions during this time. And so, so what we did is we, I went up to the board and we had this little, we have this, this board in, our, in the room that we have our staff meetings in, and I drew a circle in the middle of the board and I said, okay, this is the gospel. And I said, what is the gospel? And you'll be glad to know that your staff answered that question 100% correct, right? That the gospel is the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection paved the way for us to have a good and right relationship with God because his death and resurrection paid the price of sin that we can't pay. And I said, okay, what does that gospel do? And we talked about uh, that it gives us salvation, that the gospel saves us. And we talked about that it gives us sanctification, that it changes us, that the gospel that saves us is the gospel that sustains us. And then Carol said, well, it also gives us this presence with God. Even today, he's, he's with us and, and, and he's always with us. And, I, and, and that was brilliant. That, that kind of created this shift in our conversation. And I said, okay. So then I drew a circle around that gospel circle. And I said, okay, knowing that the gospel saves us and the gospel sustains us and that the gospel gives us this, this permanent presence with God, what feelings does that evoke? And so what, you know, we talked about what feelings are anchored in that gospel. And honestly, as we talked about it, it took us a little bit. You know, we were, we were throwing feelings out and we, and we landed on stuff like, like the fruits of the Spirit. We landed on peace and joy, contentment, kindness, love, and patience. And then outside of that circle, I said, okay, so this is the gospel. This is the feelings that the gospel gives us. And then I took the rest of the board and I said, okay, when you watch the news and you look at the chaos and disunity around us, what feelings does that produce? And here's what's crazy, y'all. We started hammering those feelings out like, like we couldn't stop. That board got full of feelings like fear and anxiety and, and comparison and judgmentalism and self-righteousness. And I said, okay, Okay, and I think we actually have a slide, a picture of that board so you can get an idea of what it looks like. And then I asked this question. I said, okay, where are you making decisions from? What feelings are, are, are you using to anchor your decisions in? Are they from what's in the circle or are they from what's on the board? Are they from the presence of God in your life that the gospel provides? Or are you making decisions based on the feelings from the, 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 the information and the chaos that's around us? So y'all, God's permanent presence can be with you today. God's permanent presence can shape the decisions that you make. It can shape the reactions that you have. It can even shape the feelings that you feel. That's what we receive when we receive what God gives. Well, watch what else. In verse 5, it says this. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers, he will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And so not only do you get God's presence, here, here's what else God's permanent presence does, is it brings this fulfillment. When we receive what God gives, not only do you get this permanent presence, you get this fulfillment. The things that you thirst for are quenched in this relationship with God. The, the things that you fight for find their victory in this relationship with God. But then there's this warning, right? There's this Genesis 11, this, 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 this warning that echoes back to this pride and self-sufficiency of trying to earn God's approval and, and trying to earn God's love. Because there's other ways to have what you thirst for quenched. There's other ways to have what you fight for see victory. And look at what happens with that. In verse 8, it says this, But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so here we see the other ways that people try and have their thirst quenched, the other ways that people try and find victory. And these ways aren't God's ways. These ways are ways of striving. They're those Genesis 11 ways, right? They're the ways of effort. They're the ways of denying God's power found in Jesus. They're not the ways of those who have said yes to following Jesus. You see, a life given to these ways leads to judgment. The judgment like we saw last week. And so for you, church, for you, Fellowship Asheville, when we receive what God gives, it means that we find our fulfillment in God. We find our fulfillment in Him. Look at verse 9. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And so, so what's happening here is, is this angel showed up and he's giving John a different perspective, right? He's moving him to a different place. And now he's going to get this bird's eye view, so to speak, and, and his eyes are going to see the grandeur and majesty of this city. And, and even in doing this, he's going to show us what we get when we receive what God gives. Well, let's, let's keep reading in verse 11. It says, "...in having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal." It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and its gates, uh, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the 12 sons of Israel are inscribed. And on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, as you read this, what number jumps out at you? 12, right? There's a lot of 12s in this passage, and each one is significant. There's 12 gates around this city that John sees coming down from heaven, and there's three on each side. Now, what's interesting, in most cities, you had one gate that came in, right? And, and, and that gate was because the rest of the wall was there for protection, and at that gate was, was someone who would monitor who came in and who didn't and who were citizens of that city and, and who weren't. And here, though, we see that there are three gates on every side of this wall, meaning this, 
that this city is open to people from everywhere, from the north, south, east, and west. It is open from every race, tribe, tongue, and people, as the book of Revelation refers to. And then we see the New Testament, right? We see the apostles mentioned. We see the Old Testament. We see the the 12 tribes of Israel mentioned. And here's why they're there. This idea of this gospel, this idea of this city being open to people from every race, tribe, and tongue is a theme throughout the entire Bible. The Old Testament is there because the father of those 12 tribes, the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham, was giving a blessing to be a blessing to what? To all people. And so there's the Old Testament evidence of this. The New Testament Jesus commanded his disciples to go, to go into all the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, until the ends of the earth. And so this permanent presence of God and being, being available to people from everywhere is the theme throughout the entire Bible. And so when we receive what God gives, here's what this means. It means we get a worldwide family is what this means. One of my favorite mar- memories of my marriage with Stacy thus far, I'm sure there'll be plenty more, but one of my favorites was worshiping in this church in Africa with her. Uh, Stacy and I had been married for two weeks at this point. Yes, we did our honeymoon, came back, washed clothes, and I was leading a missions trip to Africa. We hopped on a plane with a team and, and flew to, to Zambia. And when we were in this African church worshiping, and it was a huge African church, uh, the pastor made an announcement that Stacy and I were on our honeymoon. Well, here's what happened. Somehow this cake appeared from the crowd, right? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this parade of people came down from the church. This church had hundreds of people in it, and I think every single person in that church came down and greeted Stacy and I to bless us in our marriage, to, to hug us and to say hi to us, and that they would be praying for us. That's that's what happens when you say yes to what God receives. You get this, you get siblings, and those siblings are of every race and every color and every tribe. You get this worldwide family that you're a part of. And this family, this worldwide, multicultural, colorful family is your family. Look at verse 15, because this is pretty cool too. It says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod. Twelve hundred stata, the length and the width and the height are equal. And he also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. That's good to know, I guess. But here's the deal. John sees this city, and and what we get to see in this city is that this city is a cube. It's as tall as it is wide as it is long. Now, where I I read some people translate these measurements to mean that this cube is 1,500 miles tall, wide, and long. Imagine this. Mount Everest is five and a half miles high, right, to its peak. So imagine John seeing something 1,500 miles I'm sure this thing looked huge to him, right? But here's the unique thing about it being a cube. If if you grew up in a Jewish home during this time in the ancient Jewish church, you had in your mind what this was a reference to because in the temple, in the very middle of the temple, there was this place called the the most holy place. And it was a place where the Ark of the Covenant 
rested. Yes, the one from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that Ark of the Covenant was, was there. And, and it was there because it's believed to be the presence of God was in that space. And, and it had this curtain around it and you couldn't go in because the presence of God is this holy presence. And, and, and the high priest would go in once a year and make atonement for sins and, and all that. But the presence of God was there. This city is a cube just like that room is, which means if you, were, if you were living in the, in the ancient Jewish world and, and you connected these dots, it would mean that when John talked about this city, you would realize that the people living in that city are living in the most holy place. They are living in the presence of the living God. Look at verse 18. It says, And the wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh uh, uh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. Can you imagine and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Here's, here's what's crazy. As much refining as we've done with gold and as much work as we've done with gold, we've never gotten it thin enough to be transparent. And here we see gold and these rare jewels are all over the place. John sees this brilliant display of color and he sees things which to him would have cost a fortune, but to there, they're commonplace. To there, there in, in, in this holy city, they are everywhere. Why? Because God created them, right? They're the things that God created them, and he created them for people to enjoy. There's, there's no miners pulling these crystals out. There's, there's no refiners of gold making these streets. God did all the work for us. And when we receive what God gives, it means we get to enjoy his creation. That stuff is there for John to enjoy. That stuff is there for the, the people of this holy city to enjoy. And so when we receive what God gives, we get to enjoy God's creation. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. And the gates will never be shut by day, nor will there be night there. They will bring into it the glory of, of the honor of the nations. And so this picture here is something unbelievable because God's presence is literally everywhere. There's, there's light everywhere. There's no darkness, which means there's no shadows, right? Because God's light is everywhere and coming from everywhere because his parents, I mean, his presence is everywhere. His permanent presence is everywhere. He is the light that we live by. He is the safety that we need. And y'all, y'all, this place is the place we were made to spend eternity in. That's what John is showing us, that one day this place will be our home. And it's this place that if you're like me, on May 19th, 1991, when I heard Tom Nelson preach about this, it's the place that my heart longed for. It's the place where my soul wanted to be in that presence of God. Even though, honestly, as, even as I read this, I can't imagine it. And 
It's the place where that same pride tries to achieve a way in. So let me ask you the question that Tommy asked us, Tommy asked the congregation and that I responded to May 19th, 1991 is, gosh, who wouldn't want to be there? Do you want to be there? And if so, I've got some good news for you because there is a way to get there. And here's, here's, how we, here, here's how to live in this city. In verse 27, it says this. It says, But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And remember, we saw that book of life last week. And that book of life is those who have said yes to Jesus. And so if this city is calling your name, Jesus is the only way to be there. He is the only road to this incredible eternity, and that is our gospel. Now, we don't believe in a Genesis 11 gospel, right? We don't believe in a gospel of work and a gospel of effort and a gospel of earning your way to heaven or striving uh, to get God to love you. We see in the Bible Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and we see that He did all the work for us, and all we do is receive what God gives us in Jesus. And so when we receive what God gives, we receive Jesus. Because He is the way to this city. Now, if this home is calling you, if Jesus is calling you, then let today be the day that you say yes and receive Jesus' offer of salvation. Receive His payment for what you can't earn. And simply saying yes to His offer of salvation and yes to following Him is a yes to this city. And so if this is you, what I ask you to do is, is to join us after communion. If you said yes today, join us for communion and let that be the first step of faith that you take is this public declaration, even though it's online, it's still a public declaration of your faith. And because what we'll see is that communion is this physical representation of what Jesus did for us. And so I invite you to, to join us because look, look at what else we received though. These last five verses in chapter, in chapter 22. It says this, And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and there will, they will need no light of lamp or, or of sun. The Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now this word reign means rule, and it means to participate with, and, and it means that something significant is going to happen in this city. There's going to be something significant about eternity. Now, I know when you think about heaven, you think of that picture of the, the two little angels sitting on the clouds, you know, with their hands like this. And, 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 and that's kind of the picture that, that's in our heads about what heaven's going to be like and about what worship is going to be like. That, honestly, that picture looks incredibly boring to me, right? And I think it looks boring because that's not what heaven is going to be. We get to reign with God. We get to have this, this significance in this city that we don't have here on earth. You see, our eternity will be filled with significance. And so when, when we receive what God gives, we find significance.
Now, all this seems great for eternity, doesn't it? But this is the amazing part of our faith. Jesus said that he came to give us life and that we can have it abundantly, that we can have it fully, that we can have it to the full and complete, which means we can have little tastes of those things even today, even in our life. You see, John is given this, this incredible picture of eternity, but we can experience that today in Jesus. And so for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, and even those who haven't, and, and I, I would ask you to do that, but for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, we still have this Genesis 11 in us, don't we? We still have this pride, this effort, this striving, this work. And maybe you've tried to find your significant enjoyment and family and fulfillment and to receive what God gives outside of the way God provides. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, that gospel is still our answer. That Jesus is still our answer. And so today, do you need significance in your life? Do you need enjoyment in your life? Do you need family in your life? Do you need fulfillment? Then, then let's do this. Let's jump over to communion because that's our answer. Y'all, God gives us Jesus and there's no better way to respond than by taking communion. So I'll see you in just a few minutes. I love you and I love being in the church with you. Let's pray. God, move us into this time of communion with grace, um, with, with the grace that you give uh, poured out on us. And may you be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See you in a bit.